Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, June 7th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on this week's financial show, we'll take a look at another fintech IPO in the space that just came out. Is it Bill Ackman or is it Bill Spackman? We've got a big acquisition of the data center REIT space to talk about. We'll wrap it up with one to watch for you. Joining me this week, as always, it's certified financial planner, Mr. Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Just great. I am back in my office and ready to do the show. Yeah, man, back in the office. Nothing wrong with that. Good to see. Good to see. Uh, you know, Matt, we, we've been talking about this before uh, we started taping, and you know, we've talked about this off and on a decent bit over the past several, I don't know, quarters, it feels like. We've got another fintech IPO. And there, I'm of two minds here, Matt, because on the one hand, I mean, well, listen, we love this space. We love to talk about it. Uh, fintech is a fascinating opportunity for investors, it seems like. It's it's also one that is, it's been around for a little while now. We've been talking, we've been using that word fintech for some time. And now we have another fintech IPO that's just come public here, Flywire, uh, which just came public here recently. Uh, Flywire is another fintech IPO. Um, that's good. Uh, but then it also begs the question, what did they do differently? Uh, we're going to get to all that. And and so really, you know, we wanted to take a big picture sort of look at this business, understand what they do, come up with some some things we like about it, maybe some of the things we're not so sure about, um, give, give listeners a general idea of what this business is all about. So let's first and foremost, let's talk a little bit about what Flywire actually does. What is Flywire in the business of? So Flywire is a payment network. Um, think of them kind of like a square. They're the intermediary between a merchant and its customers. So this is a crowded space. Not only do you have giants like Square, but there's there are a lot of other you know little payment networks that we we've we've talked about on the show even. So this is like you said. You really need to look for what differentiates these. Um, in the case of Flywire, it's what they process payments for. They're very specialized in terms of the industries they focus on. Specifically, they focus on the education industry, such as processing payments for universities, um, the healthcare industry. Uh, four out of the 10 largest healthcare systems in the U.S. use Flywire to process their payments. Um, business to business payments, which is a really broad broad market. That's probably the biggest one they focus on and probably you know the, the biggest opportunity, but the one that's most crowded. Right, and that's um, that B two B that you would always. Right. I mean, we see, even see B two B with companies like Mastercard and Visa talking about that B two B opportunity as well. Right, so that's the biggest market I'm talking about, but it's also probably the the least likely for them to really develop a big share of. But you have education, healthcare, and travel is the other big one they focus on. Um, these are pretty big markets, and it's if you can, it, you're, they're not going to. Flywire knows that like Square is still going to be Square. They're the big the big player in, in this space for the moment. PayPal is still going to be PayPal. Um, education payments is a $660 billion market opportunity by itself. Um, travel is $530 billion a year, changes hands every year for travel. Healthcare is $500 billion in size. So these are some pretty big niche markets 
that if Flywire can really take share of, I mentioned four out of the 10 leading healthcare systems in the U.S. use Flywire. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of potential here. So on one hand, this, the the whole payment processing space is getting kind of crowded. All of the big players in it are growing very fast. So at some point, there's going to be a lot of competitive pressure here. But I do like that they specialize. I can't really think of many other of the big payment processors that really specialize. There's um, Shift for Payments is another one. They specialize in the hospitality right. industry, like uh, yeah. a lot of restaurants and stuff like that. So they're, they're pretty specialized. But I don't know of anyone that specializes in education payments or or travel payments or or healthcare payments, especially in, to the extent that Flywire does. So unique, unique company. Yeah, you know, I, I'm glad that you said that because that's when I was looking through the S1, trying to get a grip on what they do and what makes them different. Um, I mean, that's really that seems like to me what that was at the top of the list. I mean, it, to your point, I mean, it is a it is a small business, right? I mean, it's I mean they generate 150 million dollars in, in trailing 12 month revenue. I mean, it is a tiny, tiny little company, and, and it's a small cap stock, right? 3.2 billion dollar market capitalization. Um, but th- the thing that stood out to me was that specialization, right? And they, they call that out. They say this is a vertical specific software and, and that is backed by what they call deep industry expertise. So, I mean, I, you know, on the one hand, I, I appreciate that, but you, you know, you mentioned the S word earlier square and, and that is, that is a company. I mean, we've, we've talked about it a lot on the show. I think you and I both own shares still of square. Um, very happily going to let those shares just keep on doing their thing too. Uh, because one of the things that attracted me to Square, among other things, was that I, I, I get that idea of, of, of vertical specific software. I mean, whether you're a retailer or a restaurant or something else, um, it does seem like Square is really providing uh, the products and services for those specific verticals. But the thing with Flywire, and you you touched on this, it seems like Flywire is focused on some different market opportunities that maybe Square isn't necessarily focused on. Maybe that's the opportunity. I don't know. Yeah, the way the company puts it, these are um, some sectors that have been left behind by the payment industry, uh, the evolution of the payment industry. And as you mentioned, it's a pretty small company, $150 million in trailing 12-month revenue, roughly. Um, in 2020, they did about $132 million in revenue. But- they're growing fast. That's 39% growth over 2019, which given the pandemic, that's, you know, pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, I, I'd have to imagine as a whole education payments were down in 2020. I would imagine. Um, you know, so a lot of their market travel, especially they they focus on travel payments. So some of their core markets got pretty hard hit in 2020 and for them to still grow revenue at 39% is pretty impressive. Um, just to give you an idea, you say it's a small company, which it is compared to some of these big big fintechs. They process $7.5 billion of, of volume in 2020. So which it's crazy how big the fintech industry's got that we consider that to be a small company. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, PayPal's over a trillion dollars in, in annual volume. Um, their they, their uh, client retention rate is 97%, which is pretty impressive. Um, over the past three years, their dollar-based net revenue retention rate, which pretty much that just means how much their existing customers are spending, has been 118%, meaning that the average customer that spends $100 with them is now spent a year ago is now spending $118 with them. So that's the kind of thing with these payment companies. One thing, one thing that all investors should know in the fintech space, 
there's no real reason for a company to be loyal to one payment processor or another. A lot of companies use several different payment processors for, for their needs. Like there's no reason a company couldn't use PayPal for its online payments, Square for some of its payments, um, Flywire for some of its payments. There's, there's, it's really tough for them to compete on price. Um, pretty much all of the fee is passed through from, you know, the payment networks like Visa or MasterCard and things like that. So, and, and each of these fintech companies gets like, you know, 10 cents out of every transaction. The real differentiator is the software, as you mentioned, the vertical specific software. So as companies see value in Flywire's vertical specific software, they might be gradually shifting some of their payment needs over from PayPal to Flywire or, or things like that which is where you're seeing this dollar-based net revenue uh, retention rate over 100% coming from. Customers are seeing more value in the product, so they're shifting more of their needs over to Flywire over time, which if that trend continues, that things could get very interesting for this business. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it is very early days. I mean, this is a business certainly that we're just starting to learn more about and, and I would I would definitely put this one in the category of, you know, I'm I'm more than happy to give it a few quarters to, to, to better understand the business, see how management behaves as a publicly traded uh, management team. Um, you know, I, I don't feel like that there's any rush to buy shares in a business like this. But by the same token, I mean, it, it is something that absolutely compels me. I mean, I, I think this vertical specific software, I, I think there's something to that. Um, and to, to that end, I mean, what is, what's something that you feel like you're going to need to keep an eye on with a business like this? I mean, this is going to be some, this is going to be a business we're going to be talking about, I think, uh, fairly regularly on this show. I mean, it, it's one that, that seems like it has a lot of potential in the space, but what's something, what's something you're going to be keeping an eye on with a company like this to, to, to try to judge uh, whether it's something that's, that's worthy of taking that next step as, as a possible investment? I mean, a few more quarters of that, of, um, you know, 100% plus revenue retention. That'll definitely be a positive if they can keep this growth rate going. I want to see what they're doing in 2021 now that, you know, the the big part of COVID is is behind us, the, the big effect on the business. You know, as education ramps up again and travel ramps up again and things like that, I want to see how their business does. But I will say with the, the vast amount of fintech IPOs recently, like a company's really got to knock my socks off for me to get in like on the IPO level these days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's... It, I, I don't know about you, but like, it really has to wow me from the get-go for me to get in on the IPO. And um, there have been a few that I've been really interested in, but Flywire is one I might have to. Um, you know, I'm getting definitely going to keep it on my radar. It's an interesting company. Like I said, the specialization is really at a, a different level from most other fintechs. But I, I, it's it's one that I'm watching, but it, it doesn't knock my socks off at this point. Um, but I'm, I'm watching it. I, I like that. I think that's that's a good that's a good sort of checklist item that uh, investors out there you're looking to build your process and enhance your your process and make it better. I mean, maybe that line of like knock your socks off. Does this business knock your socks off? Because I mean, at the end of the day, what what is it? Buffett talks about that punch card, something like twenty holdings. You know, basically you just you could buy shares in 20 companies, you got to punch that card, you get 20 of them. Um, I mean, that really makes you look at it through that lens, right? It, it needs a knock your socks off quality. I like yeah. that. We'll, we'll, and I mean, we'll I don't have, have the exact um, IPO market stats in front of me right now, but I know over the past 12 months in SPACs alone, we've had over 400 go public. Then we've had a lot of companies go public the traditional route. So th there have just been like a flood of these IPOs coming to market. 
And like I said, it really needs to stand out from the pack. In a normal year when you know, when, when only like the cream of the crop is going public, that's not what's happening right now. It's like, <laughs> every, I feel like every, and not to say that Flywire isn't the cream of the crop, but I feel like there are just so many companies going public and at very high valuations compared to historic multiples. I mean, you said a trailing 12-month revenue of about $150 million. That means Flywire is trading for 20 times revenue and not profitable and growing at 39% year over year, which great is great, but that's still a pretty rich valuation for a company like that. So, you know, it's, it's, I think we said this a few weeks ago that like, like, you know, the IPO class of 2020 and 2021, like any class, you have the top 5% that you want to pay attention to and are going to go on to Ivy League schools and stuff like that. But at, then those are the ones you want to focus on out of this group. And Flywire may be in it, maybe not, but I, I, I'd like to see a few quarters of how it's doing while it's actually a publicly traded company and we get to really get more frequent updates and see how the business is doing. Well, speaking of SPACs, uh, billionaire investor, uh, an investor we all know fairly uh, well through the headlines and, and whatnot here through the years, uh, Bill Spackman, actually just Bill Ackman. <laughs> I was just having fun with the Bill Spackman. Um, but I mean, it, you know, hey, listen, B- Bill Ackman, he, ha- he has a SPAC and he's got his blank check company, Pershing Square uh, Taunting Holdings, right? Um, it, now this there there there's a lot. It seems like there's a lot going on here uh, these days with Mr. Ackman. But there is a a SPAC deal where he is looking to buy a sliver of Universal Music Group, which recently went public. Um, I wanted to to get your thoughts on where exactly you think Ackman's headed with this uh, with this Pershing Square Taunting Holdings, and and if you feel like this Universal Music Group. Uh, investment is a is a sensible one. Yeah. So I mean I could spend the entire episode breaking down this deal. It's that it's that complex. <laughs> um and, and going through all which first of all, it's not official yet. Ackman confirmed that these talks are happening and gave details of what it would look like. Um so it's not confirmed. We don't know that it's going to happen and they don't even know if they can do everything that Ackman wants to do. So take this with a grain of salt. There's three big components to what Pershing Square Tontine Holdings is doing. Number one, they're buying 10% of Universal Music for $4.1 billion. It values that company at $42.5 billion, including debt. Um, Massive, and he was right when he said he was targeting an iconic company before we knew what it was. That's a pretty iconic music business. Um, They have some of the biggest artists in the world. They have a lot of the, the best intellectual property in music. There's a lot of value there, no doubt about it. Um, It's... Unlike most SPACs, this is not an acquisition. They're just buying a 10% stake, and Universal is actually going public on its own on the Euronext. So in Europe, they're going public. Um, so just to break that part of the deal down, Pershing Square Tontine raised $20 a share in its IPO, in its SPAC IPO. This part of the deal is consuming about $14.75 a share. So a little less than three quarters of the SPAC's capital is going into the Universal part of the deal. All right, so the average analyst values um, Universal at about $50 billion. So Ackman's getting a deal. Um, that's about 15% more than Pershing Square is paying for its stake. So it's a pretty big, a pretty good deal if the analysts are right and that's what it's actually worth. So that's part one. With the other $5.25 a share, 
or about $1.5 billion altogether that Pershing Square Tontine will have, that's going to stay in the SPAC. Pershing Square Tontine, even after the universal acquisition and spin-out of shares, they're still going to be searching for a deal with that other $1.5 billion. The, and um, Pershing Square itself has about $1.6 billion in money it could commit to that if it wanted to. So Pershing Square Tontine will still have $3 billion or so to look for another acquisition target. But since they've already found the universal one, it removes a lot of the constraints that most SPACs have. And that specifically, there's no time limit now. You know, most SPACs have two two years to find a deal. They found a deal. They found the universal deal. So with the rest of the money, they could take their time. That could sit for 10 years until they find another deal. So that's a big advantage. And the, the, you know, remember what Buffett said, yeah, if you give me money and tell me I have to find a business in two years, I'll do it. But <laughs> I'd rather have all the time I need to find the best deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now that's part two. So there's still some money in a trust that Ackman could use to acquire another business. Part three, and this is kind of the most interesting part, in my opinion, is the SPARC, um, S-P-A-R-C, which stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Right Company. Say say that three times fast. (laughs) Um, So for every square of Pershing Square Tontine that investors hold, they're going to get one S-P-A-R, Special Purpose Acquisition Right. This is a security. It's similar to a warrant that allows them to buy a share in that spark that is being created at $20 a share, but only after a new merger target is announced. Think of this as like Ackman's next spec, except it's different in that it doesn't even exist really until a new merger target is announced. So shareholders are actually essentially getting a warrant to buy one of these shares at some point in the future. And this component itself could have a good bit of value. The Pershing Square Tontine warrants themselves right now trade for $6 a share, roughly. And they have a higher exercise price, $23, whereas these would have a $20 exercise price. And these won't have any redemption clauses. They won't have any um, time constraints. This company, like I said, could take 10 years to find a deal if it wants to. And it could be a really interesting way. It it's kind of eliminates a lot of the downsides to SPACs, like you know the, the big chunk of capital that or the, the big chunk of the company that the sponsor gets for free. It eliminates a lot of the the bias toward the sponsor. Um, and this, the spark that is being created, and then I'll shut up after this point, the spark that's being created will have up to $10.6 billion to put toward a deal. So if you thought Pershing Square Tontine, which was already the biggest SPAC ever created with $4 billion, had a lot of money, this one will have up to $10.6 billion to commit to a spec, uh, an acquisition deal. So, and and the Persian Square Tontine holders are getting these for free. So the sum of the parts, I've read, you know, 10 different sum of the parts estimates from different analysts since this was announced. They all range from about $27 to about $33 a share. Pershing Square Tontine is trading for like $23 a share. So th- there's some upside potential. Uh, the Spark investors especially are going to have to be patient on, but Hopefully that broke it down a little bit, um, <laughs> at least a little clarity to it. Well, so. that absolutely added a lot of clarity to it. And you know what it makes me think of? Um, it, you know, we talked about this all throughout our SPAC series that we did earlier in the year. And really, I, I think that your point that you you continue to make um, 
is, is really spot on. It's these specs really are, they really are all about management. I mean that that is the key because in so many cases the the, the blank check company is formed before any investment opportunity is ever really discovered, um, and that all just kind of leads me to that. While of, of course Bill Ackman is from time to time he is in the headlines for a bad investment decision that he made or whatever. I mean, you know, he, the financial media sometimes can be ruthless. Um, they like to focus on the bad and never really the good. I mean, let's be clear. Bill Agman is a smart investor. He's had a lot of success, right? I mean, it strikes me that maybe Pershing Square Taunting Holdings would be one of those SPACs that I, I would actually consider being a part of that just by virtue of the fact that you've got Bill Ackman really running the show there. I mean, there does seem to be he 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 seems to have at least a vision as to what he's trying to do here. Yeah, and every investor, Bill Ackman, Warren Buffett, any of the big ones, they they make bad decisions from time to time. But bet against Bill Ackman at your own peril. Uh, yeah, I I I, um, I wouldn't do it personally. I mean, I listen. I mean, I like I said, I mean, the financial media loves to focus on on the misses. Um, he's he's obviously done very well for himself. You don't get to where uh, he is uh, with a bunch of misses. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, and and to make it even even sweeter, he he alluded on Twitter that he's going to there are going to be several of these spark vehicles, and all of the original Pershing Square Tontine Holdings shareholders are going to get shares to each one, you know, in perpetuity. Um, so that's uh, you know, Ackman wants to make his investors money. He wants to be kind of hailed as the the, the billionaire who kind of gives you know makes everyone else rich too. He's made that very clear over his career that he wants to make other people rich too. It doesn't always work out, uh, just like every investor. Um, you know, just I mean, Warren Buffett's goal is to make all of his shareholders rich over time. Sure. And a- sure. I mean, there was a Forbes article in I think I want to say 2015 that called Ack- Ackman the next Warren Buffett. Um, on, it was a cover story in Forbes about uh, his uh, investment in Howard Hughes Corporation, um, calling him the you know that he was essentially trying to be the next Warren Buffett with all of what he's doing. So. I, I, I'm a Pershing Square Tontine shareholder. If the current share price holds up in the mid twenties, and I could stop talking about it for a few days, I'm, I might even add to my position because I, I got it, it wasn't you know everyone was hoping you would take Stripe public. That was the big rumor that that yeah. the big fintech Stripe was going to go public through this, and it didn't happen. So that was really why it sold off at first. But if this holds, I might add to my position. Yeah, one of the surest ways to add a spark to your portfolio, Matt. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on. Uh, Matt, there's a a big acquisition here in the data center REIT space. Blackstone is acquiring QTS. Now we talk a lot about REITs on this show. Uh, you're very interested in the data center uh, REIT space, and you know QTS. Uh, what do you think about this deal? Does it make sense? Well, if the, if the current trends keep up, investors aren't going to have any data center REITs to buy. Um, I mean, I think Digital Realty has acquired at least two of them over the past few years. Um, Now Blackstone's acquiring QTS. There's only like five. Um, So, you know, there's Equinix, there's Digital Realty, and then there's a few smaller ones, like two or three smaller ones. And QTS was one of the smaller ones. Um, So uh, Blackstone's taking this private. It's the Blackstone's uh, infrastructure and their REIT division. They have a private REIT, not a publicly traded REIT. And they have uh, Blackstone Infrastructure Partners is their infrastructure division. So those two divisions of Blackstone are buying um, QTS. They're paying $6.7 billion for it, which is a 21% premium over its share price. So 
Congratulations to all QTS shareholders. Um, but And it's really not hard to see why they want this. QTS owns about 7 million square feet of data space. The use of data is growing exponentially in America right now, or in the, throughout the world, but here especially. Some really data-heavy markets are blowing up right now. We have, I mean, Jason, you are the the artificial intelligence augmented reality guy. That's 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 your official job title, I believe. Uh, uh, well, augmented reality, immersive <laughs> technology, more the five G stuff. Seth really go. focuses more on the AI, but AI is definitely a, a part of the universe that I'm studying. And you're right, the, the <laughs> data is just it, it, it's it's mind bending. The amount of data that's out there, and then further the companies that are all just geared towards figuring out you know, the best ways to, to work with that data. A- AI devices are extremely data heavy. Yeah. And the market for AI is expected to grow from $11 billion in annual AI device sales in 2019 to $90 billion in AI device sales by 2025, just a few years from now. Hey now. That's a, that's huge growth. And this is going to drive, the point is things like that are going to drive the need for data centers. Yeah. Um, that's why you're seeing, um, I mentioned a company called Sixtera is going public. Yes. Um, yeah, for I'm going about that which isn't going to be a REIT most likely because they only own, I think, two of their properties. They, they lease and then sublease. They use kind of like a subleasing model. Um, but digital realty has been a, a holding of mine for a long time. Um, just the, the amount of data-heavy device. Just think think of how many things like in your immediate vicinity right now are connected to the internet that wouldn't have been a couple years ago. Yeah. I mean, when I'm sitting yep. at home, I could see a vacuum cleaner, a doorknob, or a door, <laughs> you know, things that are like that – 10 years ago, you would never think that all these things would be internet connected. And all of these things use a ton of data. Yeah. Um, how much data does your car use that the car you drove 20 years ago didn't? Oh, it's uh, multiples upon multiples. I mean, my wife's my wife's car has a computer that's like the size of my laptop sitting on the window like this. Sure. Um, it's sure. like a, she has a Volvo and it has like kind of like a, not self-driving, but it, you know, the kind that really like driver assists, I guess you call oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, that uses a ton of data. And things like this over time are going to really add to the need for you know, secure and reliable places to store and transmit data. And I think the data center market is, I mean, it's already like blown up over the past two decades. And I think it's really just getting started. I, I, I mean, obviously, you can't really buy QTS anymore because, you know, Blackstone beat you to it. <laughs> but I'm, I'm a uh, digital realty is my favorite way to play this space. And I am I, it's one of my largest investments. And I think it will continue to be so. Well, Matt, before we wrap up this week, uh, let's give our listeners uh, something to keep on their radar here. What is one stock you are watching this coming week? I am watching Latch, and I can say just Latch now because they finally completed their SPAC deal. Yes. Um, Latch, if you remember, we had CEO Luke Schoenfelder on our show not that long ago. Yeah. Um, Latch was um, acquired by a SPAC called TS Innovation Acquisitions. It was Tishman Spire's SPAC. Uh, They just went public today, which is very significant because it means they now have access to the $450 million they were getting in that SPAC deal. Um, so now they're going to have really deep pockets. They've recently announced that they expanded into commercial offices. They were, they're pretty much an apartment building. They provide an apartment building operating system for the most part. That's their, their core business. They're expanding into, uh, office buildings. They're trying to expand into the Europe market, which has, you know, about double the rental housing units of the United States, by the way. Um, and now they have the cash to really take on that market head on. So I'm really watching that one. The stock is actually down since the original SPAC merger was announced. 
Um, they're discussing their first quarter business results on Wednesday, so I'm going to be paying attention to that. Um, I own uh, I own shares of Latch now. It's really it's interesting to say Latch now that I can it trades under its own ticker symbol. It's LTCH. Um, so that's one I am watching very closely. All right, good, good stuff. Um, I you know I'm going to be watching a company called Kanai Holdings. Ticker is C N N E. You ever heard of Kanai Holdings, Matt? I have not. Okay, yeah, this was one. It was new to me as well. But we had a listener who uh, had had asked a, a question for for market foolery, um, and Chris and I talked about it one day. And, and the more I dug into it, just a very interesting. Uh, company with an interesting history. It split off from Fidelity National Financial back in 2017. Um, it's it's not a SPAC, but it is a business. It's like uh, so so. You talk a lot about how management really is uh, the key, and it does feel like management is the key here for uh, Kanai as well. Uh, Bill Foley, who actually is is running the show, there he owns around three point seven percent of the business today. So he's got some skin in the game. Um, he is the, I believe, the executive chairman and and, and the one generally speaking, uh, calling the shots there. Uh, but they they ultimately just it, it, it's a company that takes meaningful equity ownership stakes in businesses that they see opportunity. And so they own everything from shares of Dun and Bradstreet, which is in data analytics, to a, a large collection of restaurants. Uh, they have fintech in, in a company called PaySafe, and they even have real estate in a golf uh, a golf course community, Matt. So just a lot of different uh, investments there that Foley has made through the years. And, and over the course of, of, the la- of the last three years, the stock has done well. I mean, it's returned better than 80%, outpaced the market. Um, just just an interesting business. The question was was sort of in the line of, is this a kind of a Berkshire Hathaway style investment minus the insurance operations, and I think there's something to that, and so it's it's one that I'm going to dig into and learn a little bit more about, just because uh, it was a new one for me and interesting, and it could be could be an opportunity for investors. So uh, so we'll keep an eye on Kanai Holdings, uh, but I think that is going to do it for us this week, Matt. Uh, as always, really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Of course, always good to be here. And remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or you can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. 